I'm Celeste Mergens, founder and CEO of Days for Girls International. Femtech to me is dignity, health, and opportunity. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Celeste Mergens, the founder and CEO of Days for Girls International, an award-winning NGO that works to shatter stigma and limitations associated with menstruation, for improved health, education, and livelihood outcomes. To date, Days for Girls has reached more than 2.1 million women and girls in 144 countries on six continents with quality, sustainable menstrual care solutions and health education. Celeste is a sought-after speaker who has been featured in Oprah's O Magazine and Forbes, among other top-tier publications. She was recently named an AARP Purpose Prize Award winner, a Conscious Company Global Impact Entrepreneur of the Year, and Women Economics Forum's Women of the Decade. She is a boss, and we are so grateful to have had her on the show. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Celeste. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Yes, I am very, very excited to have you on the show. Um, Listeners, we just learned about our paths, Celeste and I, crossing years ago. And, you know, the world is so small. So I used to have a DNA-based dating app, uh, and I was telling Celeste about my background. And she said, were you at the women's conference in California a few years ago, because I think that you gave me a DNA kit for free in the swag bag. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> it is such a small world. And that was an amazing conference. That was such an amazing conference. Oh my gosh. That was a really fantastic conference. It was like in the woods. So I felt like I was like getting my business on, but I was also getting my like spirituality on and it was awesome. It was so awesome. But what a small world. Who who knew? Mm-hmm. Who knew? Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> we always have to kick off these interviews with a little bit of information about our guests. So if you don't mind, tell us where you're from. What did you study? What was, did you have a career before you got into femtech? What was it? And then how did you end up here? Ooh, that's a big story. I I live near Seattle, Washington, about an hour north in Mount Vernon. And I started out my life thinking I would be either an electrical engineer or maybe a singer. (laughs) You know, I never had in my goal that I would become a world expert in sex and menstruation. And what brought me here is I had been doing global sustainable development in Kenya and working on issues like um, water and agriculture and education and helping communities own the solutions themselves. Luckily, I was working with the Clay Foundation. It was fabulous. I learned about this issue while trying to help an orphanage. Whenever I passed through town, I would just stop by And I learned that the girls were sitting on a piece of cardboard for days while on their menstruation. They had 50 girls in a room and more. How do you wait in your room on a piece of cardboard? And it turned out that they would just sit on the bed with cardboard and miss school and miss opportunity and struggle. And I was like, that we have to fix. I also knew that if I sent money for food, for pads and they needed money for food which they often did the whole thing question came up when I was learned that they had been without food resources for several days so how do you make sure they have what they need and I recognized it needed to be a product they could count on month after month so we made our first washable solution and then I asked the question are they 
are who's teaching them about what a period is and there's no one you can and not yet being an expert that was a panic moment but I knew that that was truly important information to have when we arrived with these washable days for girls first model the first model was awful I can say that I designed it we've had 30 iterations now we are a patent award-winning solution that lasts two to five years this is our portable object dignity pad and um but we arrived with the first version and there were 500 girls needing them. We had this amazing education and interaction. And afterwards, some of the girls gathered around and said, thank you so much. Because before you came, we had to let them use us if we wanted to leave the room and go to class. I'm hoping that doesn't mean what I feared it meant. And I had to wait another 250 girls coming through before I could answer or find out what the answer was. And they explained they were being sexually exploited in exchange for a single disposable pad. And that was the moment my path shifted and Days for Girls was born. Wow. I have a lot to unpack there. That is like sad, inspiring, crazy, like not surprising, surprising, like, you know, all the emotions. Um, let's start with, I have a question about the cardboard. Was that because it has some kind of absorbency kind of feature to it a little bit? This was a school and orphanage. So I think it was the resource they could find. Girls, now we know, um, we've reached 144 countries on six continents now. And we know that they will use feathers, um, pieces of trash, cloth that's unsecured. They will use cow dung that's broken up into small pieces. They will use um, cow horn, corn husks, um, many, many things, just wait on the stones near a river, um, many, many things to try to manage menstruation. And this was just what they chose that they could find access to. Got it, got it. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> um, right? How long have you been doing this? So when did that orphanage experience happen? And how long that ago? Was, that was November 1st, 2008, 12 years ago. Um, yeah, 12 years of this journey. And today we have reached 2.1 million women and girls. Ooh, wow. Um, I feel like, um, you know, sending sanitary pads to, you know, women in underserved areas around the world, like India and Africa, it's not this like novel idea. Like, I feel like I've heard about it a bunch of times when you started 12 years ago, was it like, what? Like, was no, it totally yeah. novel? Totally novel. Um, there were a couple that had been doing a little bit, a couple of us launched about the same time. It's so cool how that happens. You know, the sewing machine was embedded in three places at once. This was just the same thing. It was time, the moment had come. And, um, and no, people weren't. In fact, when I came home from that trip with, guess what was happening to them before we arrived? Um, they said, I don't believe it. A lot of them were, that can't be true in 2008. Um, I, and I'd say, go ask the people, you know, serving elsewhere in the world. And that's actually how we started scaling. It was like, or growing because they go, I just talked to my friend in India and they have this problem too. Give me that pattern. And then, and then we just kept, if you don't believe me, ask. In fact, we had a women's investment group decide to support days for girls with it's where you make an investment and an interest that the earnings go into a nonprofit. They, they decided on us and then the end pulled out and said, you know, we just can't do this. Periods have been part of the glass ceiling for us that have kept us. So we don't want to identify our success in this with periods. We're just not ready for that. They actually said that these were executive <laughs> women. Um, so at this time we had people sign up having heard that I was a speaker, they should engage and then call later and say, I just found out what you talk about. I'm sorry, we barely have to cancel you. Now, today, we're an award-winning globe around the planet. I do like 52 speaking engagements a year. And, um, but then that was the reality. It was such an uphill battle that we actually did things like we did a Guinness World Record of most pair, pair of panties worn at, worn at once. We have that record because we thought maybe they'll talk about panties and that will let us talk about They'll be funny and they'll talk. And sure enough, the news showed up for that. And 
we were just thinking of innovative ways to make people realize this is a stigma that we can change and it will change lives if we just recognize that we truly are more afraid to talk about menstruation than we are about diarrhea. How about we change that? Because this connects everybody, everyone. And it's important. You are amazing because you have to get creative with femtech advertising. So, um, you know, I'm always trying to consult our femtech founders about it's not going to be easy for us, but we have to be creative. And so, um, like, for example, there's one company called Come and Gone. Well, the company is called Awkward Essentials. The product is called Come and Gone. And it's essentially an after sex cleanup like sponge on a stick for women. And the advertisement they have is essentially the founder in her kitchen, like sticking it inside of a Twinkie and like twirling it and pulling it out. And it's like a Twinkie, like that is not sophisticated marketing, but like if she had done it any other way, Facebook would have shut that ad down so fast, you know, but instead it looks like some weird woman, like with baked goods, you know, but women yeah, we're like, oh, we know what's up. We know what's happening here. Right. Or, um, you know, I know Rachel Braun Schurl, she calls herself a vagipreneur and she found PR methods um, that were based in like, isn't it shocking how we can't talk about vagina while talking about vagina, right? Like, but that was her PR yeah. angle was like, oh, like, look how outrageous this is, but just so that she could get on stage or on TV and talk about it. And so I love your idea about like this Guinness world record thing. Like how else could we do it? I have um, a femtech focus. We sell beanies. And one of the beanies says um, it's vulva, not vagina. Now, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. But like, yeah. I wear that to the grocery store, and I, I know, like, maybe I shouldn't wear the word vagina on my forehead at the grocery store. But you know what it does? It starts conversations, right? And mm-hmm. like, that's the point of it. It's just about like, oh, well, I'm in women's health, and I talk about women's health, and like, can't innovate for it if we don't know the right words, you know? And um, so, yeah, love I, I love it. I love it. Beanies. Guinness World Records. Next time you have a world <laughs> record, let me know. I'm totally in on that. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Will do. What are some of the, you know, consequences of these girls not having sanitary products? Um, you know, obviously one could imagine, you know, sitting on a cardboard box for four days is not necessarily like meaning productive, but give us some like insight into like the real impact here. It's really tremendous how compre- 144 countries, that's how global this is. And imagine what do homeless women do? What does she do? What is a woman who's choosing between more sanitary products or a um, more fuel to go to interviews do, right? But for them, it's it varies. Sometimes it's, I can't be comfortable in class because I'm afraid I'm going to leak through. My period could be any time. I don't know how to judge it. So education for how to chart your period is part of our standard education when talking about our periods. You're, you know, a healthy sign of being a healthy woman is your menstruation and your, here's your charting and your amazing body. Part of that just understanding relieves them from real stresses in their life. So for instance, in Nepal, you're considered untouchable, not all of Nepal, but particularly the Western side, you're considered untouchable when you're menstruating. There's a practice called chapati there and in Pakistan and in India, where you're expected to be isolated away from your family to differing degrees. In the West, it is literally that you're in a shed or a cave or under a crawl space, and your family is considered you so untouchable that you're not allowed to touch the same food or have the same food. They put breadcrumbs in what looks like a a cake pan, and then they push it to you, this metal pan, and then you wait till they have their hands off of it to lean forward and bring it to yourself. That's the moment when I saw that, I'm like, really untouchable. And so imagine women die of exposure, of snake bites, of animal attacks, not all the time, but it's regularly happening even though it's been against the law since 2005. Why? Because they're trying to protect their family. They don't know what it is. And anything associated with blood, we think of illness and injury. So it's easy to say, I I do anything to protect you. You and I would do anything to protect our family. So I'll go to the shed to protect you. 
And you know <laughs> law is going to keep me from that. So it's consequences from completely being untouchable and how you feel when all of a sudden you start menstruation, it's like, oh, you're out. To being in a community where you're wrapping extra clothing around, to being in, I was once in Guyana, South America. And in this area, I thought, you know, the rainforest, maybe they're not gonna say they want it or need it. Maybe they'll just need the education. And way out by Kafir Falls, like way, like take a plane, go over in the Amazons below you, that far out, the miners who are mining gold had brought pads that they would give to women until they realized they wanted them. And then they'd say, if you want more, you'll have to have relations with me in the rainforest. So I, the consequences are varying in different places. The girls right now in Kenya and Uganda and Rwanda are reporting a way higher pregnancy rate. And one of the reasons is exchanging sex for pads, which isn't the only thing. Sometimes it's just, I can't take my exam because I, I can't risk leaking through. Sometimes the consequence is missing a few days. And if I'm sorry to emphasize the really hard thing, because there's good news. But in September of 2019, a girl named Jacqueline um, was in her classroom, realized she had a stain. Her teacher wanted her to stand up. And um, then her teacher mocked her for being dirty. And then um, she took her life after being menstrual shame. Now, not everybody that goes through that does. But here's the good news. A community there in Bomey, uh, Bomet, Kenya, ended up rallying together a Days for Girls ambassador of health who lives there, who is a social entrepreneur making Days for Girls products and bringing education with it so she can afford to be that leader in her own company, country with her own company, providing jobs. They went out and said, what if we change this? What if we draw a red line on menstrual shame? No more. What if we all together decide that no one else is going to die because they didn't know what their period was? How about we change the shame. And they've reached thousands and thousands. And then Calico, where the um, where the Chapati practice is, they've reached more than 20,000. And freeing them from sheds, freeing them from shame. I wake up usually at 4.30 in the morning with no alarm clock because there are a lot of things that are hard to change in this world. But this isn't one of them. Shame and menstruation, we can do it. It's something we can change right now just takes these kind of conversations. It just takes all of us talking about it, shattering the shame, solutions, and scale. This is something we can do. I love it. I mean, it's like, we can do it, right? It's not like yeah. we're not, hope, we're hopeless. <laughs> we can totally do it. Um, do I, I had a question about like, so I understand it being like girls getting their first period and like it being all like kind of mysterious and stuff, but are they also like shaming grown women with periods too? Uh, because I yeah. feel like this story has been very much about young girls and women, adult women yes. get their period too. And so what happens yeah. to the adult women? Yeah. So um, also Guyana, South America, we just arrived to do some training and they did, the group didn't know why we were there yet. The leader had arranged for us to come. So they hadn't, they'd left it to us to talk about things. So we got there and they're showing us beautiful um, tropical flowers. And they said, hold on, something's going on right now. So just enjoy looking around while we talk. It turned out, I'm not kidding, right when we got there, they were trying to decide what to do with a woman who came to work every single day without fail and they noticed that um, they had a banana blight that ha has been happening throughout parts of South America. And they had a banana blight and they were deciding that it was for sure her fault because she had come every day, which meant she had come while she was on her period. Therefore, the blight was her fault. And they were trying to decide what to do with her the day that we came. So as a result, she became one of our first ambassadors of women's health there. She learned it. She told them. Um, she loved talking to the community about what periods really are. And she wove this little basket out of pine needles and thanks for not having to be ostracized by our whole community over a period. Oh my gosh. So it's even the adult women and, and work, right? It's like school or work. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, I would almost not believe you 
that this is happening, right? Um, yeah. Except, and I always love to tell personal stories on this podcast, like um, whatever man I end up with, he'll like know everything about me via the show. But I, um, I had dated a guy from Morocco a few years ago and he was Muslim. And um, one time I was on my period and uh, we were, we were getting into it. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I just started my period. And he was flabbergasted. Like, no, absolutely not. Zero tolerance for that. Like put your clothes on. Like, how could you even think that I would want to touch you on it? And so it was actually a really, really educational experience. Cause I was like, well, actually like in America, like at least in our culture, like this is not that weird. And um, and I actually did a little, cause I'm such a scientist. I was like, I'll text five friends right now about if they have sex <laughs> on their period. And he was like, me too. I will too. And he like texts five bros and like, sure enough, it came back. Like for the majority, like people were like, yeah, just put a towel down, whatever. But he was like, Whoa, like you're my first American girlfriend. Like, and I had no idea, like in Morocco, like at least for him, again, I'm not trying to generalize for a whole religion, culture, country, but for him, it was like, and it was like, 2018 and I was like oh my gosh this is happening like there's grown men today that like can't believe that anyone would touch a woman on her period you know um so I believe that this is real (laughs) you know and he was like I'm so glad you know graduate degree engineering successful so I'm imagining not you know people in these areas that don't have access to all of this information you know it's just true and it's not it's like in the example of the um, the people practicing chapati, if you think you're protecting your family, it, it's not that you're being um, trying to be undermining anyone. They just think that's that's what it is and they don't know the background behind it. So it's such powerful information. We once were asked to present it, um, an associate to present our education, which is, includes self-defense and what a period is and uh, when you're most likely to become pregnant, all those things. And and hand-washing even, and um, has this one and a half hour dynamic conversation. And, and uh, it's just really great. But a community was asking, what exactly are you going to teach? And now she shared what she was going to teach. These were businessmen. These were educated people around this circle and mostly men. And as she shared what it is, the one of them was brave enough to say, is this true? Is this what periods are? This is it? And she said, yes, this is what it is. And he said, then why is my wife in the shed? And so so really, really a great man, a leader, educated. And the second he knew more, a shift happened. And in fact, four days for girls, including men in the conversation is half of what we do or a lot of what we do. Because when you have such a big stigma and shame about something, unless you include everyone in the conversation, it's going to be a really uphill battle to shift it. And this needs to be a decision made locally, not because of shame, not because it's against the law, but because they recognize this is something we can change. We want everyone to have their days back. We want everyone to have the fullness of their opportunity. We love our family and they don't have to be in danger. That has to be a conversation for everyone. It's not just a women's conversation, not even a just menstruator conversation. This is for everyone. Yeah, we at Femtech Focus, our tagline is women's health is everyone's health because we we can't just talk about it within our own gender. Uh, we need men a part of the conversation, you know, and uh, it's just, it's, you know, those girls, those women that are not going to school that are can't go to work or whatever, like that's affecting the economy of the country. Like when I say everyone's health, I mean stock market health. I'm talking yes. about like yes. literal economy's health is what I'm talking about here, you know? And so like, mm-hmm. that's how important period awareness is, <laughs> is that like, if like literally the world is turning based on women's health, in my personal opinion, <laughs> it's like how, no, how true I think this is. Yes. I, I want to talk to you about your operations and strategy because um, I can remember in college, uh, there was like this club and we were going to go to Africa and like help girls, like learn how to plant trees. I don't know what it was. It was like really kind of, it felt like we were really trying to do something good. And then I was like, 
I'm pretty sure girls in Africa know way more about planting trees than I do. Like, who the hell? <laughs> like, like it was I very very ignorant like whatever thing. But I can re- I think back to that, and I continue to see a lot of especially like church groups and stuff. Like, we're gonna go to this country and we're gonna tell them how it is and we're gonna help them. And what I'm hearing from you mm-hmm. is that you actually have ambassadors that are local to the community and stuff. Can you tell me? And this is for, I know we have a lot of early stage startups listening, early stage nonprofits, aspiring ones. How can they make sure that they're using similar techniques and they're not like going to go out and like tell all the vulvas how to be vulvas, you know, they're going (laughs) to empower them for where where they're at. Can you tell me more about the strategy of how you're doing it? Mm -hmm. We do a hybrid approach and it's not the easy way. But is we feel the right way. So we started with volunteers making them and bringing them like in the very first. And and as we moved along more and more, the local women said, we want to keep doing this after you go. And one of the things that was a real shift for me, besides my sustainable development background, was a moment when when a woman with HIV in Zimbabwe, very, very thin, um, reported to me when I came back that she had been teaching it by skipping meals so that she could take bus rides to go reach more places to teach what she had learned. And it's like, uh, you know, that's literally life-threatening. You need to eat for your antiretroviral meds to work. So it's like, ah, right? We've got to find a way for them to do what they would do for free, but to be able to earn a living and keep eating, right? And so those two things came together to go, let's make sure there's a social entrepreneurship piece of that. That today, there are hundreds and hundreds of people that are part of Social Entrepreneurs for Days for Girls Enterprises in many places in the world. And the chapters and teams and clubs of Days for Girls raise awareness, help with advocacy, and make Days for Girls kits in places where we don't have strong local leadership yet. We partner with people that are already, in, they go with people already working in a community. Sometimes they go with them, but always it's letting the local leaders lead in every way possible and to give that education to them and the resources to them. The other piece is to create a supply chain so that everywhere the consistency of the product, this product is choosing, turning out to last two to five years according to the reports of users. And so so we need it to really last if it's going to get into someone's hands and so they have what they can count on month after month. So we... We need the education to always go so they know how to keep them healthy and, and work well. And we need all these pieces. So it's supply chain, it's education, it's finding the leaders who would do this anyway, who will you lean in with all their might, who instead of panicking when there's someone that you know chooses to end their life because they're ashamed, goes to the community and says, let's talk, let's sit and make a plan. I have something that I can contribute, but I can't do it alone. So that everywhere, that in the training to always make it about what we can do, not shame. So in other words, never show up in Nepal and say, you people, you are doing it wrong. But instead to say, what if you capture rich tradition and richly cleanse this instead of putting it at risk in the shed? What if you practice Chopati in a new way? How could you do this? And then let them have the conversation. That methodology has been really important as we've tipped from being two arms our volunteer arm and our social venture arm we which all benefits them that that doesn't come back to us at all it's about that sustainability for them um we then we've had to be more deliberate about our zones so this means we've had to think through the whole planet and Kenya and Uganda and Ghana and there and Guatemala, there they've got this. There's more than 30 enterprises. Let's not bring free kits there ever. Let's lean into supporting them and let them take the they've got this. Let's go instead to Burundi, where that isn't that market isn't developed yet. And let's do the advocacy at the government level so that they're making standards for washables, so that they're engaged in a menstrual product policy of how they feel about supporting menstrual wellness for their people. And we just lean into their plan and we just um, help convene the table of the conversation or show up at the table or support it in any way we can. So our work has shifted to more advocacy and more having actually made zones in the world, which is making our work way more 
complicated to explain, but it's the right thing to do to let the leaders locally lead. Yeah. So I hear advocacy, I hear education, and then um, we haven't really dived into the details of this physical product. Um, for those listening and not watching the video, which it is on YouTube, so feel free to check out the video. You've been holding up, it looks like this little square packet. So can you kind of verbally also walk us through what that is? Absolutely. Sell it, like do, or do you fundraise in order to give it out? Like, tell us more about what this is and why yeah. is it the right menstrual solution? Because I also hear a lot of innovators being like, cups are the right thing. No, discs are the right thing. No, tampons are the right thing. So tell me why you think this yeah. one is the right one. Well, our experience is that only about, it's raised, it's starting to rise a little bit, but um, that only about 3% of those we serve are open using menstrual cups. And, and, you know, I personally have used menstrual cups. I, but even for me, and even here, while the usage rate is rising, it's a smaller percentage. And the first time you look at one, you're like, that's gonna, what? <laughs> and I remember the first time I tried one going, okay, okay this is ridiculous. I got to take this on. And so imagine you're culturally yeah, um, yeah. not wanting to touch it religiously or you're um, it's, it's a little bit of a uphill sell that needs to be locally driven as well. And there is success in it, but that's been our experience. We do offer them, but it's a low uptake so far. And then um, but they are great. They last up to 10 years, right? So disposable single use, why wouldn't we do more single use? Well, difficulty having places to dispose of them, uh, the first place we ever I made the washable, I had sent money for disposable, thinking they have to have it. I'm not going to be there for a whole three and a half more weeks. So what are those girls like right now going to do? So I sent money for disposables. And I got there, and there were they were piled against posts. They were rolled up in a chain link fence, every little chink of the chain link, little link of the chain link fence. And then they were in the latrines and they were having to shovel them out. So if you don't have a proper disposal system, it becomes part of the stigma and part of um, more infectious risks. So washables are not only, you can count on them month after month, but also no chemicals. I mean, Kenya just recently had a big chemical scare because they, they weren't monitored and they came from another country and they were poorly made. Um, they are also better for the environment and they're a smart choice for anybody. In fact, Days for Girls is right now doing the preliminary work to sell a version of our product for the United States and other parts of the world and that the proceeds will benefit Days for Girls, but it's a product that, that is really great. So here's what we had to learn along the way. Our first product, washable product was white because sanitary pads are white, but who's gonna hang out a pad? Whoops, but I had to, I listened, right? We listened. And um, and then, so here's how you make a pad not look like a pad, hide stains and last for a long time. And wash with very little water, another obstacle they have, and dry quickly so they can be healthy. So how do you do all those things? This, this is the feedback of those we serve. So it has, it's a pad with wings. The wings wrap around their underclothing. And then, um, this is how you make the absorbency part. There's a moisture barrier here. So it's three layers and the moisture barrier keeps it from any leaking. And then this is how you make the pad not look like pad ready. Ta-da! So it looks like a square or hanky, but there's two layers, one on the edges, two in the middle. So when you fold it, you have six layers of absorbency here, only two here. And you can also put other materials that are traditional for them in here, but the soft cotton flannel is on the outside to keep your body comfortable. And this washes with very little water because it's not thick and it takes very little time because of the large absorb um, area um, to dry. And this can be layered two or three to adjust to your flow, personal flow needs, and even add other materials depending on what works for them. So if you're in a country and there's various kinds of Days for Girls kits, of which this is the basic Days for Girls pad. Um, and this then folds up in this nice little pouch so she can drop it in her purse or her backpack and she's off. That's, that's the design that is their feedback. Their feedback and genius is why this pad is genius and why we hold two patents today. Wow, that is incredible. I have some probably ignorant questions, but if I have the question, yeah. it means other people have it. 
Sure. Um, can you pass HIV through period blood? You could potentially, according to our, we've reached out to the CDC and others and done a lot of research along the way. Um, and not so much HIV because it dies really quickly. It's pretty frail as a virus. And, um, and so just open water fixes that, hot water. Um, the one that's a little more risk is um, hepatitis B, right? Because that's a little harder. And the only thing for that is, just make sure it's all the way dry and um and then you know soap and water but all the way dry and that's why it needed to be a design that dried quickly a design that could be ironed in really high humidity a design that could be I mean, there's so many things to think through how do you make this pad work across the globe and thankfully one of our basic ethos is to listen listen, learn and respond and fail forward as many times as necessary and, and really be responsive in our design. So it's user-centered design. It works really well. <laughs> Imagine that, y'all. If we actually design based on what women tell us. Um, <laughs> whoa. <They're smart. laughs> um, and then I had another question about um, like, do you sell it to the women or are you giving it to the women? Um, and uh, what was my other, oh, where is it being made? Like, are you providing any kind of opportunities for like local women to like have businesses by making them? Absolutely. So the answer is yes <laughs> to all of the above. Sometimes they're given like this last year, our chapters and teams volunteers, um, even during COVID reached more than 45,000 refugees all over the world. And they'll do the same this year. So often they don't have the resources. What's wonderful is in some, like in Lebanon, where our Lebanon leaders are so phenomenal, um, they've got a cargo with um, kits that were made by volunteers. And we also had fundraising that we paid the local entrepreneurs, the local um, women making them at their Days for Girls Enterprise. Um, and so both of these came together and it was a local enterprise that was funded to go do the education with partners. So partners took it in and, and we were able to reach many with this hybrid. So it's often this hybrid. They would tell us there in Lebanon that they would, some orgs were now giving out free pads, yay, but they were single use pads. And in their culture, taking care of cleanliness is not just a good thing. It's, it's, not, it's deeply shameful to not be responsible for your personal cleanliness. So with no place to dispose of them, and even with a place to dispose of them, dropping your items that are personally your responsibility was impossible for many of them. So they said, and because we're given them, we can't take our family's scarce resources to buy them, as in so many places. So, so this means so much to have something we can count on month after month that works for us. So there's contextual cultural things in that way too. We also, and in some places they are buying them, for instance, in an, um, in an enterprise in all over the world, but in Ecuador, they have exactly this for sale. And when, and they're reporting to us, so they'll make and sell a few hundred a month. And, and then um, this enterprise is self-sustaining itself, paying their sewers, paying for the materials. They're funding themselves, which the more you do of that, the more you reach every girl everywhere, period, right? Every menstruate. When I say girl, I mean, we mean girls, all people yeah. living in And so, so because I'm still a girl, I'm just saying. Um, so <laughs> so the, the thing is, and by the way, these work for women that are having stress incontinence too, because what do they do? That's like every day for women that have had a fistula or women that are just getting older and maybe that's an issue for them so so that they when covid shut down the local market kind of a little festival community festival they get together and have a market um the local leaders actually said that their booth could stay open because it was too important to close how cool is that so uh, their work and they are the frontline workers they are the frontline responders and they are making them and they do earn a living and they are phenomenal. And so are the volunteers. Can I just say that if you say, I work to raise money for wells for people to have, or I'm working so there are more library books in the community, people go, ah. But when you're a woman in person, we have men too doing it, and you say, I make menstrual pads in my spare time. 
I mean, these are people that can look at the bottom line and say, I want to make a meaningful difference in the world and menstrual equity is way bigger than you first think at first glance. It's about equity, period. It's about opportunity. So a, a supportive days for girls is education. It's breaking the stigma. It's advocating to have this shift in the world that we can bring right now. And it creates jobs and local leadership. And that's the only way, how do they get their next pad if you just dropped off a free one? And that's why our work includes this building um, over to local ownership. And, and so the answer to your questions is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have one last question about uh, Days for Girls. And then I'd like to ask you two kind of femtech questions. This is amazing. I want to, you know, like, sew all the pads. I want to go all the places. I want to empower all the periods. I am like, this is it, you know, like, this is what I feel on, you know, when you say you wake up at 4am, I'm like, I wake up a little later than that. But nevertheless, like, I also wake up every day being like, if I want to change the entire world and everyone in it, I need to support women's health, right? Like, so that's, I'm totally on board with you. I had another question you said in the several times, 144 countries, why is my brain being like, is there really that many countries that need pad like period help? Um, something you then said was refugees. So it's actually brought to mind like, oh, maybe they're from countries that do have it. But if you're on transit living out of a like a suitcase, maybe you that counts, right? So can you give me a little bit of context? Like, should I be thinking anything in North America qualifies? Is it Asia? Like, and then I'm starting to think about like native um, Australian tribes. Like, tell me, am I thinking about this right? Or like, who, what, yeah. who, what am I missing? Oh, really? No, you're absolutely on point. So think, think, okay. So there's a place here called Edmonds, Washington, close by. If you ever watch the show and you may not have Dick Van Dyke, he's an advertising executive and they live in this kind of, you know, executive kind of community. That's what Edmonds, Washington is. Like, it's really nice on the water. It's dentists. It's, you know, and Edmonds, Washington, um, the leader there, the chapter there, April, got a call from the local school and they have more than 280 girls. They were going without what they needed in that community. And in New York City, I went, it was thousands that were needing them there. And, and in um, New Orleans, where the, um, where the hurricane happened, hit so hard in Katrina, there was, there, we got a call that 3,200 month after month. They were having to go to the nurse's office, turn their skirt around for their uniform, put their books over it, go to the nurse's office and try to get help in New Orleans, 3,200. So it's everywhere. It's in your backyard, wherever, no matter where you're hearing this from, it's in your backyard. Anywhere that a family has to choose between food and hygiene, food and menstrual products and, and, and shelter, food wins, shelter wins. The job interview fuel wins. And so having something wherever we are, we all like different products. Most of us use different products for different parts of our cycle. And, and that's very unique. That's why that menstrual aisle where we are is so long um, because it's unique to each of us. And for Days for Girls, we just want everyone in the world who menstruates to have what they need. And those that support a menstruator to know their family has what they need so they can have the dignity of their days. And it's something we can do. Period. Wow. wow. Yeah. So it is here. It's, it's wherever you are, wherever there's menstruators, probably people that need pad, your pads. Wow. Um, this is so amazing. I could talk to you forever. I really would love if you were be my mentor. I'm just like this woman, man, like you've been doing this for a while. This is amazing. Um, what, uh, we have two last questions that our listeners love. The first one is, we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders. So um, if someone wanted to start a femtech company, what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Oh, there's so many. Don't you wish that we had a product that didn't take as much water and no refuse? I mean, I'm always thinking about what could that be? Um, and I want 
to kind of, so I, I don't know that I can answer that because there's so many and I don't think we've gotten the like perfect combination. I don't even know if there can be because of that preference thing, right? What if, what I'm always thinking is that sometimes in other parts of the world we'll get, or even here, that washable products are a poor choice. You use that because you're poor, so you don't have another option. What if we could get everybody to go, no, actually washables are a smart choice, good for our environment, good for our wallet, what can we do with those funds otherwise, good for our health, less chemicals, and and what if we really focused on that? Like these are these, and that's why our new product, which is also patented, you're gonna love it. I wish I had an example in front of me, it's so good. It's very similar, but it's a little different. Um, we're, it's not just that we wanna benefit Days for Girls, it's because we need the message that lots and lots of people choose washables to be like, choose the thing that works for you. And even better if you can choose something that works for the whole world. But choose something that works for you is is part of the message we want to be part of. Mm -hmm. So maybe the like uh, area in women's health and wellness that could be innovated is a mind shift in washables being a mainstream rather yes. than a last option or hippie thing or very unique, you know, but a mainstream mm -hmm. option. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be amazing? that would have a lot of repercussions in the world. And I think also be part of that mind shift, like, and I wash it because I wash my underwear too. Ooh, you know, <laughs> for me, we've shifted to calling um, disposable products, single use products, because just like a straw gets thrown away, a bottle, I mean, that's a single use product. And, and women should have what works for them and different things work in different scenarios. But what if washables were a bigger part? Yeah, totally, 100%. Um, women's health is Mother Earth's health, right? <laughs> we can continue mm -hmm. to build on each other. Our last question it's is- a um, It's a whole cycle, get it? Oh my God, you got a good joke. You got a good know, joke. Um, <laughs> um, our last question is, uh, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Mm, good questions and welcome. I'm so glad everybody's really thinking about this. I, I think it would be kind of what I, an extension of what I just said. I think we need to think in ways that are more like push the box out a little bit more. What else would work? What would be ideal? And, and what would bring the most benefit to the most people? Um, and create income and sustainable motion, right? To me, one of the things we're innovating right now, and it's not easy, but we're committed, is to kind of make rooms of a factory. For us, instead of one big factory, what if we had seven or eight key factories in a region that were smaller versions, but if you walked from one of them to the other, the same outfits, the same cleanliness standards, the same manufacturing standards, what if we could decentralized um, manufacturing, right? So, so just thinking of things in another way, how else could it be done? And, and thinking of disrupting um, things that we've accepted for a long time as the solution and think, uh, and sometimes that takes courage. You should have seen me the time that I tried the um, cup for the first time. I was like, I literally had to do like sports breathing. Okay, okay, give me this, <laughs> you know, and, and what if, We've got beyond that too. I like trying new things because I'm figuring out my health and wellness. And, and what if that were part of our engagement to kind of tip it upside down and say, meaning our thinking about um, wellness from them and really say, what is an innovative way we could do it? To get to Days for Girls Design, we, this is a, number 30 is the one that's going to be a product available. It took a lot of openness to what isn't working. It took a lot of willingness to listen and say, what else do you need? And not be invested in the original. I think we've been invested in the original solutions for a long, long time. I love that. That is literally like the definition of innovation is what else, how else could this be solved? How else? Um, what crazy ideas could we come up with? And also, what are we not questioning that should absolutely be questioned? Like the first pad you made was white because you we have a paradigm of pads being white. And it's like, 
question literally every single thing from the color to where it's made to how it smells or where I don't know I don't know y'all and so much about there's unfortunately so many things in women's health and wellness that things have been innovated for one time a hundred years ago and then everyone was like oh well that's how it is right so like gynecology offices are super cold and you're on this table with your feet up in syrups and everyone's just like yeah it sucks but how else are you gonna look up in there and it's just like has anyone really actually like thought about it like maybe we could do something else or um you know uh the last invention for incontinence is like a diaper essentially right like Mm -hmm. how well could we stop leakage you know so it's just about like not accepting what is currently available as the only and best solution because it likely isn't for women and Mm -hmm. uh and then questioning all those little basic features of it I love that exactly and listen listen to the women themselves what are their pain points what would be ideal and throw the options wide open it works yes and be humble enough to throw your first prototype out and be like well that was trash <laughs> we did 20 i should have brought the bag if we do this again sometime i'll bring the bag of all the examples so we can march through all the ways that you tried it that way yep yep <laughs> yep that's right that's right uh celeste you are amazing thank you so much for your time today really appreciate it good to be with you thank you for listening to my interview with celeste mergens the founder and CEO of Days for Girls International. I could not believe the extent of period poverty and the stigma against periods that occurs worldwide, even in our own backyard here in the U.S. Did you know that one out of every five girls in the U.S. has missed school due to a lack of menstrual products? Obviously, this is a problem that needs continued efforts to be addressed Thank God there are women like Celeste and companies like Days for Girls. Already Femme fans, please join our Femtech Focus virtual community and subscribe to our newsletter at femtechfocus.org. In our virtual community, you can become a Femme Pro member for only $10 a month and get access to a library of recordings, including recordings of our recent summit that was wildly successful. If you missed it, don't worry. Be a Femme Pro member. Watch the recordings. You also get free access when you're a Femme Pro member to our Femtech Fundamental webinars. These are bi-weekly webinars that help founders build, launch, and succeed. Femtech Focus also hosts Monday night podcast listening parties. We have a Femtech book club and weekly office hours on Clubhouse. There's a lot going on, so definitely follow us on social at Femtech Focus and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date. We are also a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate, so please consider setting up a monthly donation to our organization. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.